0: Please take a seat, folks. Can I invite you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15? That's 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to read verses 1 to 22, which will help us as we come to the catechism question we read earlier. As you're arriving at it, if we haven't met, I'm John. I'm one of the elders here at the church, and I take a lead in the student work that we do here. If you are new, come say hello at the end, it'd be great uh, to get to know you. As you're arriving at 1 Corinthians 15, why don't I first lead us in prayer and ask for God's help. Dear God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, please help us this evening to take great comfort in all that is ours by faith, thanks to the resurrection of our Savior, the Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 from verse 1. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preach to you, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the Twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God but by the grace of God I am what I am, and His grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope, in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. Amen. There has been no more important set of events in history than the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That statement alone asserts that Christianity is a historical religion. Christians believe and proclaim certain events really, really happened. Namely, that Jesus was alive on a Friday some 2,000 years ago. He really died and he was really alive on Sunday. And over 500 eyewitnesses could testify to this as we just read. I am a Christian because I believe the resurrection. There's certainly more to it than that. Samuel helpfully explained last week how it is that we become Christians, what it means to be a Christian. But in a very real way, I'm a Christian because I believe the resurrection. I was trained to question everything, to scrutinize evidence, and to leave no stone unturned in the pursuit of truth. That's sometimes a really good thing. It's a tad annoying if you're married to me, but what was so wonderful to uncover some 10 years, some 10 years ago now, was the events of the Easter story and them being datable and locatable and ultimately reliably verifiable. The global expansion of the Christian faith for the last two millennia is not based on carefully constructed myths or wishful and metaphorical thinking, something like Jesus merely lives on in his teachings. No, the Christian faith stands or falls on the fact that a Galilean man's heart, which stopped beating, started pumping blood again. One 20th century theologian asked this question, what was it that within a few days transformed a band of mourners into the spiritual conquerors of the world? It was not the memory of Jesus's life, it was not the inspiration which came from past contact with Him, but it was the message, He is risen. That message alone gave to the disciples a living Savior, and it alone can give to us a living Savior today. That same message propelled the apostles and first Christians to go out into the world and tell people about Jesus. The apostle Paul in Athens spoke of God raising the Lord Jesus from the dead When being cross-examined at his trial before King Agrippa, he asked, why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? And not just Paul, but Peter in his Pentecost sermon concludes with the proclamation of the resurrection of Jesus. It's crucial, it's as central as the cross. Our Lord's resurrection was, as some have called it, the axis around which the whole gospel turned. And it's not an easy message to believe, I know that. I certainly didn't at one point. Dead men don't rise. But if it's true, it is the most important event in human history. It's curious then that the Heidelberg Catechism has so little to say about the resurrection. It provides no proofs or historical evidence. I guess it's a a product of its time. And back in the 1560s, there was little to no challenge of the facts of the resurrection. But what the Catechism does do is focus on the implications and the benefits of the resurrection for Christians. You, You may remember, if you have been with us for the last four weeks, that this, was a, a, this is a document designed for comfort and building up, so it makes sense that question 45 focuses so much on words like us and we and our. This is for the church, it's for Christians, it's for you and me. Now, if you're not a Christian, can I invite you to not turn the channel just yet? What the resurrection means for Christians is the best news ever. It means certainty that we are at peace with God. It means the power to live the way we were designed to live and thrive. And it means 100% confidence that though we one day may die, that's not the end of the story. And hey, if you can't get past the hurdle of the historical reliability of the resurrection, please read the historical accounts of Jesus's life, death and resurrection in the gospels for yourself. Many of us would be delighted to chat about that with you too. But our question tonight is why is the resurrection of Jesus such good news for Christians? Answer 45 of the Heidelberg Catechism gives three reasons The resurrection guarantees our redemption, resurrection power renews our lives, and the resurrection guarantees our future resurrection. So firstly, the resurrection guarantees our redemption. The Catechism says, firstly, by his resurrection, Jesus Christ has overcome death so that he might make us share in the righteousness He won for us by His death. If your Bibles are still open, Paul emphasizes this in 1 Corinthians 15 in verses three and four reminding us that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried and He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And then Paul makes it absolutely clear in verse 17 that if Christ has not been raised, your, or our, faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. In other words, the the Apostle Paul saw a, a direct connection between the resurrection of Jesus and the sufficiency of His death to atone for our sins. Why is the resurrection and not simply the cross alone necessary for the forgiveness of sin? Because without the resurrection, how would we know that anything had been defeated? In in fact, nothing has been defeated and conquered, not sin, not death, not the devil, if Christ is not risen. If Aslan doesn't come back to life, how do we know that the deeper magic he spoke of was true? Jesus' resurrection from the dead testifies not only that Jesus is the Son of God, his identity, but that the offering of his life was an acceptable sacrifice to God. When Jesus rose again, it was the public announcement that God was fully satisfied with the sacrificial death of His Son. It indicates the the satisfaction of divine justice. The punishment is over. The merit of Christ has proven worthy. The debt for our sin has been paid. Death has been vanquished. Sin has been atoned for. Let me try and and illustrate this. Imagine you are one of six uh, children in your family. I've met a couple of those recently. One day, five of you sneak out of your rooms, ride your bikes to Morrison's, steal some sparklers and fireworks and lighters, come home and start blowing stuff up in your front garden being naughty and not very bright young children. You light the fireworks with both your parents in the front room of the house and watching the chaos through the window. Soon, both mum and dad are outside and the five of you are in big, big trouble. But just then, your older brother, who has been in his room doing his homework, comes to your defense and offers to be punished in your place, even though he had no part in the crime. So, mom and dad send him to his room and make clear that though the five of you are guilty and your older brother is innocent, he will pay for your sin and merit your forgiveness by going to his room. Now, as long as big brother is in his room, You feel as though you are not yet cleared for your crime. Until the door opens and your big brother emerges, you sense that the punishment is still being dished out. You don't know if this little switcheroo is actually going to work. But once big brother is set free, you breathe a thankful sigh of relief and rejoice. Because now you know your penalty has been paid and mom and dad have got nothing against you. The empty room indicates the satisfaction of parental justice. The, the resurrection means the death of Jesus was enough, enough to atone for our sin. Enough to reconcile us to God enough to present us wholly in God's presence. The resurrection means Christ proved himself righteous to the Father, but Jesus didn't just defeat death for himself, but he defeated it for us. Will you turn back to, to 1 Corinthians 15 again with me, and verses 20 and 22. But in fact Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Romans four, twenty-three to twenty-five provides even more clarity. It says but the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised him from the dead, our Jesus, our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. We are united to Jesus, by faith, He bestows His righteousness to us, and now we are declared righteous before God the Father thanks to that gift. In our glorious and mysterious union with Christ, something amazing happens. Our unrighteousness is dealt with on the cross, and Jesus' perfection is given to us. And that is how God the Father sees us, perfectly perfect in Christ. That's our our new status. How then do we respond? We'll we'll get to what we might do with our our hands, if you like, in a moment, but at a heart level, how ought we respond to the truth that death has been overcome, and that we are declared righteous because of what Jesus accomplished in his resurrection, I can't help but be driven to my knees in thanks and praise. In Christ's certain resurrection, I am guaranteed that I possess that which was otherwise impossible for me to have. Christ's certain resurrection confirms to me that the gift I need the most, something I otherwise couldn't obtain for myself, the forgiveness of my sins and right relationship with God, that is mine. I picture the family members, and the patient thankful to the doctors and scientists who provided the vaccine that alone could cure their illness. In Jesus' resurrection, the cure to our sin problem is given divine approval for worldwide distribution. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. The cross works because the resurrection happened. The resurrection happened, so what we do at the Lord's table today is not pointless. Let what the resurrection guarantees fill your heart with with joy, and comfort once again this evening. And on a similar note and related one, take heart as you hear scripture remind us that death has been defeated. Later on we are going to sing these words, death was once my great opponent, fear once had a hold on me, But the Son who died to save us rose that we would be free indeed, free from every plan of darkness, free to live and free to love. Death is dead and Christ is risen. It was finished upon that cross." That's our our first point, but the, the benefits don't stop there. Second. Resurrection power renews our lives. By Christ's power, we too are already now resurrected to a new life. That's what the Catechism says. And will you turn with me to to Romans chapter 6? Romans 6, and we're going to read verses 5 to 11. Let us read that that section, Romans 6, 5 to 11. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. We often talk about new life, the hope of new life, but it's not just a future goal, it's a present reality. Paul here again is speaking of the glorious union believers have with Christ through faith, And as we trust in the risen Jesus, we are united to him by faith. And Paul says, therefore, there's a connection between what happened to Jesus and what happens to us. So Jesus didn't just die and rise, but in him, we died with him and rose with him. And that has big implications. It's not just symbolic. We actually, spiritually, have been raised with Christ. Ephesians 2 says we've been given new spiritual life. In Colossians 3, we're told, since you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. In other words, you have been given new spiritual life if you're a Christian. And so we're to have the perspective of people who have been spiritually given life. And more than that, our actions are to be the actions of those who have new spiritual life. We're to be what we are. As those raised with Christ, we're to live as risen people. And what does that look like in detail? Well, we don't have time to consider most of the teaching of the New Testament, but the editors of Heidelberg point us in the direction of Ephesians and Colossians. And just for tonight, let's take Colossians as our guide. We, we read 3 verse 1, since you have been raised with Christ, this is what you ought to do. Let me just read to you. I scanned this uh, throughout the week. All the imperatives, all the imperatives that follow, chapters three and four of Colossians. Since you have been raised with Christ, since you have new life, keep seeking the things above. Three verse one. Set your mind on things above. Three verse two. Consider the members of your body as dead to sin. Three verse three put to death immorality and other sins, 3 verse 5, put aside or put off anger, 3 verse 8, do not lie, verse 9, put on the new self, verse 10, put on a, a heart of compassion and basically the fruit of the Spirit, verse 12, put on love, verse 14, let the peace of Christ rule your life, verse 15, be thankful, same verse, let the Word of Christ writ down, Richly dwell in you, verse 16. Teach and admonish one another, verse 16. Do all to the glory of God through Christ, verse 17. Wives be subject as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands love, do not be harsh, verse 19. Children obey in everything. Fathers do not provoke. Slaves obey with sincerity. Whatever you do, work hard, verse 23. That's just chapter three. Verse chapter four, masters be just and fair, continue steadfast in prayer, watchful with thanksgiving, four verse two. Pray for open doors for the word, four verse three. Pray for clarity in speaking the gospel, four verse four. Be wise in your conduct towards outsiders. Use your time well, four verse five. Speak graciously and appropriately, chapter four verse six. That sounds big and difficult as I read it now, as I've been reading it for the last couple of weeks, but we never forget the the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit that is with us and behind us. The, The same Spirit that brought every Christian from spiritual death to life is the same Spirit, that resurrection power that helps us to live our new lives. And just for a moment with me, imagine. Imagine a a workplace, uh, our families, relationships, maybe even how you relate to someone you used to be in a relationship with. Imagine our church. Imagine if we all lived out our new lives as scripture commands. Imagine just the next several months in our church, which at this time of the year is always transitional. Imagine if the next few weeks and months was marked by brothers and sisters loving each other sacrificially, or as Ephesians 4 puts it, being completely humble, completely gentle being patient and bearing with one another in love. Doesn't that sound that that could be amazing? We will fail at it, I'm sure, but what a challenge to be reminded that that now already, though we might not feel it, we are resurrected to new life. The resurrection confirms that. And live out such a life, says Ephesians and Colossians. It's God's way, it's it's the best way. But even that idyllic picture that you have in your minds right now is not as good as it's going to get. Which leads us to our third and, and final point, that the resurrection guarantees our future resurrection. The third benefit of Christ's resurrection is that it guarantees our future glorious resurrection. Uh, Let me read one final time the last verses of of 1 Corinthians 15, well, the last verses of the section we've been reading, verses 20 to to 23. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has, has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. C.S. Lewis put it really eloquently in his book Miracles he wrote the the new testament writers speak as if christ's achievements in rising from the dead was the first event of its kind in the whole history of the universe he is the first fruits the pioneer of life he has forced open a door that has been locked since the death of the first man he has met fought and beaten the king of death everything Is different because He has done so. This is the beginning of a new creation, a new chapter in cosmic history has been opened." End quote. Uh, Christ's resurrection was the first fruits, we're told, we read, of a resurrection harvest yet to come. It's not hard to imagine, maybe some, some laborers on a farm A bit like the woman racing from the empty tomb to tell the disciples he is no longer dead. Them coming in from the fields with the good news that the first ear of ripe corn had just been plucked. And the rest of the splendid harvest is not far behind. Easter, the the resurrection, confirms that we have new bodies coming. No one knows exactly how God will gather our molecules from the sea and the ground, but he will put us back together again, in some ways just like we are, but in all ways new and better. And therefore, as Philippians 3 says, verses 20 and 21, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. It could be so easy to, to leave tonight. I've been struggling with this myself and just linger on point two and end up depressed by what we can't achieve, try as though we might I mean, Paul said it to the Romans, for I do not the good that I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep doing. Not only that, but though death has been overcome, it's still very much a part of life. Loved ones die and we miss them badly. We ourselves age and weaken and will one day end up in the grave. Yet yet God would not have us get disillusioned by the sin that remains in us, despite our being raised to new life. Nor would he have us discouraged by the endless rows of gravestones in a cemetery. God has prepared something better for us. Paul is insistent on it, if Christ arose, we who died with him will also arise to new life on that day. He's the, the firstfruits. We will follow. It's the way he ends, 1 Corinthians 15. You can just cast your eyes to verse 52. The trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable. And so it will be clear to all what say uh, what verse 54 says death has been swallowed up in victory uh, the graves will open and our bodies once ravaged by sickness or accident or old age will arise in strength and be united with our souls and be made like Christ's glorious body then there shall be perfection and glorious joy in the presence of our God and Maker forever. What well, does it benefit us? The resurrection of Christ, we can have absolutely certainty that our sins have been atoned for. We have the power to live our new lives, and we can be a hundred percent certain that death is not the end for us who are trusting in Him. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the true events of Jesus' crucifixion and his resurrection. We thank you that in him triumphing over the grave, we have confirmation that his sacrifice was enough, that our sins have been dealt with, that we can be counted righteous before you as we share in Christ's righteousness. Father, please help us by your Spirit with resurrection power to to live lives that are marked by our new status. Help us to live what we are. Help us to be like Jesus. And Father, we thank you so much that though in this life we will never be able to do that perfectly, we have the certain hope The promise, the guarantee, the down payment that Christ is the firstfruits and that we will follow. We pray all these things grateful and comforted by Christ's resurrection. In his name, amen.